Welcome back to the AEC Disruptors Podcast, your platform to help push the AEC industry forward. I'm your host, Christopher Riddell, and joining me today is my co-host, Jackson Sinsat. What's going on, man? Good to be back, Christopher. It's been a little while since our last uh, chat. It has been. I've got to get my sea legs back with the whole podcasting thing. I know. You got to work on your voice. You got to make sure you're not too close to the mic, all those good things. Um, so today we, uh, so the episode for today, we talked to Simon Whelan. He is the founder and COO of Finestra Pro. Uh, they're based out of Dublin and uh, they're really focused on sustainability in terms of facade design. And so we talked a little bit about that, but we also talked a little bit about um, the, this 2030 challenge that some of us may have heard of. So what'd you think of the, the chat? I really like the chat. Um, there could have been a little more discussion on plant walls, um, especially since we've chatted about um, the Zac Efron show on Netflix in the past yep. about sustainability. Um, but I yep. thought it was a really good chat. Um, you know, the whole sustainability is definitely taking the world by storm, but specifically, um, you know, the AEC industry. And there's a lot of changes that we have to make, it's, you know, from my area in construction, we're extremely wasteful. Um, not a whole lot of recycling goes on and things like that. And it was interesting to hear it from the designer's perspective of, you know, what kind of initiatives they're taking to um, be more sustainable in their designs. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting because he introduced um, to me and we chatted about it this uh, the 2030 palette. And you mentioned that, you know, we threw out a couple of these 2030 monikers and um, the 2030 palette really is like a step-by-step -step guide to achieve some of the things that we're looking to achieve as part of, you know, this big goal of being carbon neutral. And it's interesting you mentioned the waste and construction because we kind of touch on it, but in general, um, the, there's a new renewed focus on even paying attention to off-site um, products. So not just focusing on what I do on the job site, what I do as part of my design, but now focusing on the products that I bring onto my, uh, into my design, you know, I have to now consider how that they have been manufactured or what their carbon footprint is. And so we're trying to elevate our game a little bit, um, but it's interesting to hear from a construction perspective, just the, you know, the perception of how much waste we really have in, in a, a lot of these projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my last job was a high rise hotel. So this is, you know, going to be a little bit, uh, kind of an outlier, but we had two different giant dumpsters and each of them got taken out twice a day. So that's wow. four dumpster loads in an entire day for a job site that just is going straight to a landfill. You know, we weren't recycling any of that material. Really, the burden is put on the people who are doing the prefabrication. Mm -hmm. um, the people, because, you know, they have the opportunity to be a little more efficient with what they're doing and reuse their materials. But on the construction job site, the waste just goes on the ground and then either the interns or the day laborers. In my, in my internship, I picked up a lot of trash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, they have to throw that away and it goes straight to a landfill. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done on the construction side. We have long to ways to go. Um, we share some of the numbers from the, the recent report, the 2019 AIA report that came out. Uh, but you know, we're making progress. We're not making as much progress as we would like, um, but every little, little bit counts. So. Hope you enjoy the episode and check back for more.
So how have things been since we last uh, chatted? Yeah, all good. All good. Keeping busy. You know, uh, things are strange still, I suppose, as, as they are for everyone uh, with pandemics and whatnot. But yep. um, still busy. Like, I, I think, um, you know, I think the outlook is positive uh, uh, from here anyway. You know, it's, uh, that's coming along nicely. So, um, uh, so all good, you know. And, and in a way, I suppose... The, the pandemic lent, you know, this sort of new world of like Zoom meetings and, you know, uh, remote working and all lends itself quite well, I, I suppose, to certainly to tech and yep. if not to, if not to architectural design, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, especially, well, you know, I don't know how many of your, I guess you have a lot of customers in the United States. And yeah, so being most, able to do most, so, yeah. being able to do so much online and it's just yeah. commonplace, that has to be easier. Much easier. Yeah, much easier. Um, I mean, it, it's got to the point now for us that it's the difficulty is resources and, you know, finding the time and finding the people and we're, we're just kind of trying to staff up at the moment in terms of that, you know, support and those customer support and that scale. Mm-hmm. But like, look, like I said a few minutes ago, that's a good problem to have, isn't it? That's, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's better than the other better than going the other direction, you know? So, um, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. That's awesome. All right. So uh, as we kind of kick off, what I would like to talk a little bit about, and you brought this up the last time we chatted was, and I hadn't heard of this, was the, this, uh, the concept of the 2030 palette. And I think it's yeah. kind of a framework for the 2030 commitment. Mm. So I was doing a little bit of research this morning on um, the 2030 commitment to start. And it was sort of the AIA commitment based yeah. off of this 2030 challenge. And and it seemed like fundamentally the definition of that was to uh, really to transform the practice of architecture to respond to climate ch- the climate crisis in a way that is holistic, firm-wide, project-based, and data-driven. Um, so before we talk a little bit about the 2030 palette, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, you know, Finestra Pro, what you all are doing and how you're trying to help tackle some of that um, uh, that 2030 commitment and then how it plays into this concept of this 2030 palette. Yeah. Well, where to start? I suppose, <clears throat> I suppose, you know, big broad methodologies like architecture 2030 or lead or, or whatever that, whatever, you know, lead ratings or whatever that means um, are brilliant um, because we need that. We need that sort of, you know, big ideas, big concepts and stuff. Um, I think, more generally, though, designers and practitioners um, struggle sometimes to, to, you know, to drill down into that, make that a little bit more granular into what does that mean to them? What does it mean to their practices? What does that mean to their design processes and their design, de- design decisions, you know? Um, because it's, it's great saying, well, let's reduce the energy use of a building from X to Y. That's brilliant, you know, but how do we do that in practice? What does that actually look like, you know? Um, and I think, you know, look, as you know, uh, you know, I'm an architect, come from that background, come from that world. Um, um, and I think our initial concept or our initial steps into what became Finestra Pro was this idea of, well, how do I do that? How in practice do I know what my design decisions mean on the energy performance, you know? Um, like so 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 if i take uh, i need to reduce the energy use of my building to this well how can i do that and what are the best 
and you know to use terms that we use a lot what's the, the optimal way to do that you know mm -hmm. that can protect and defend my architectural concepts but still create a product or a building that you know responds and performs the way we wanted to perform from an energy point of view you know so that's where we started coming from with regards to Finestra Pro so to give designers an understanding of the implications of their design decisions you know on the facade or on the envelope and stuff like that um, mm -hmm. and then to I suppose to, to, to step into you know what you, you were talking about the 2030 palette that's a similar concept I suppose and you know it, it, it provides this kind of accessibility for designers to provide like almost like a how-to, you know, what are the things that we actually need to do? What are the, 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 the actual practical things that we need to do to start reducing this energy performance from X to Y, you know? Yep. So it'll, you know, and, and relation to us and Finestra Pro and, our, you know, our tool being, you know, facade design and facade, you know, manufacturing fabrication as it moves into that, it, it, you know, there's a, there's a 2030 palette around the facade. So it will have things like solar shading. It will have things like, glass to wall ratio we'll have things like orientation and you know um uh, um you know uh, performance of your glass and things like that you know and this is all really feasible stuff that you can see you can see a response you can see when you make a change the energy performance going from x to y as i keep saying you know and that's really very much in keeping in the concept of what we were trying to do with finestra pro what we continue to try and do with with, with finestra pro is that we're very you know in you know in terms of our core kind of team and our fan you know us as founders we were always very much about measurability and mm -hmm. metrics and you know being able to see the implications of your decisions in data in numbers and you know i'm a big believer in this idea of what's measurable is manageable yep and when you can design around that it makes your life a whole lot easier you know and so that that's really where we are you know plugging in in, ter in terms of that you know the AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. You know, the, um, I, I hadn't really been exposed to that 2030 palette and, um, until you brought it up. And when we look at, when you read about the 2030 commitment, the lead, all of these things, I think you bring up a good point because it is kind of an overwhelming thing to even consider. Yeah. And the only way for us to get there is through very manageable pieces and parts. And what was interesting is I found or I, I read that what the AIA does to gauge progress is they really look at only two metrics. They look at the, uh, the predicted energy use intensity for the whole building. And then they look at predicted lighting power density for interior projects. And, right. you know, so not exactly was, numbers that you're just going to fling off your fingertips. Are they? Yeah. It's like, I don't even know what that, I didn't even yeah. know what that meant. And then, sure. so I start to read this report from 2019 and, you know, here's some of the numbers that they shared was that at least of those that were a part of this initiative, there was a 49% reduction 
in this predicted energy use intensity. And again, still, it's, you know, how, how do you come up with that? But what I found to be really interesting, and this is what I'd love to talk to you a little bit about, was 61% of the folks that were a part of this initiative use energy modeling. And those that did, 32%, they were 32% more efficient than those that didn't do energy modeling. And so to your point about how Finestra plays into this and, you know, having these metrics that are manageable, you know, the, the proof is in the numbers that those that participated, those that had the most energy efficient buildings were doing some level of energy modeling. Totally. You know, and it goes back to that point that is made, what, what's measurable is manageable. And, and uh, you know, loads of ways of talking about a data-driven design or, or whatever that might be. Um, and energy modeling is, obviously hugely powerful um, and can be specialists, can be quite broad, you know, depending on the level of detail that you want to extract from that modeling. Um, and, you know, there's fabulous tools out there now. There's really complex stuff going on and there's really specialized consultants and, you know, expertise out there. Um, but sometimes that can almost cause problems, you know, like, a, you know, like, look, Finesse Pro, our core product, I suppose, lives in Revit, um, leverages the Revit energy model, the energy analytical model, you know, um, and these things in theory are amazing because that can provide, you know, that more integrated design process, allows you to make decisions from early on, it allows, improves your collaboration, it, you know, it, it sort of, creates a better link between manufacturing and design and fabrication and all of those things. Uh, and it provides a really good accuracy of, of, the, of that data, but it's, you know, it's beholden to the accuracy of the model, I suppose. And, yep. you know, look, we, we all know out there, like, you know, and I know Ian Malloy in Autodesk is, is, is a great guy for, for talking about this. And he, he always says, like, if you take a hundred people to draw, the same building or the same chair or the same wall or whatever, they'll do it a hundred different ways and that will give 100 different results, you know? Yep. Um, uh, so, so how do we tackle that? And how do we maybe, you know, um, how do we resolve that? You know? Uh, so what we've been doing is uh, we've been figuring out workflows that can maybe take away some of the complication around that Revit energy modeling uh, you know, that we can, um, you know, bring the envelope into a template and create conceptual massing within it. We can do, you know, different things around that, that can, depending on the, the level of detail or the stage of project that you're at, um, it can give you the kind of data that you need without the sort of complication that is going to be thrown up by lots of HVAC and lots of columns and structure within the model and lots of problems with your envelope that there's, you know, gaps in the corners and lots of, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know. So, so, so that's one of the challenges at the moment that I think not only us and Finestra Pro, but I think more generally, I think a lot of third party applications, even, you know, Revit and Autodesk themselves are going to have that problem. And, and, and certainly design teams um, can, can often have that problem, you know, just some of the inefficiencies around the energy modeling process, you know. Um, It'd be interesting to know, I'm sure there's data out there, you know, to what level of accuracy are energy models carried through to as built buildings. And, you know, should we take that data as a given or should we take it as just representative of our designs? And then the as built thing as well will, you know, 
I think it's important (laughs) because like even with lead, I mean, you would hear, and this is a total assumption, but you know, we would, we would work towards getting a building lead accredited. And for the longest time, it just kind of stopped there. So if it didn't perform the way we expected, it didn't really matter because we at least checked all the boxes. And, yeah. You know, I think a there's, that, isn't there? yeah. Yeah. And I think there's maybe more of a focus to like, let's actually make sure that what we modeled is what we get. Um, and then, you know, do you see anyone kind of round tripping it? So here I've done an energy model. I've done the as, or I built it. Do you see anyone right now going back to their energy model? So well, they the, 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 yeah. Um, and I don't see them go back to their energy model after and as built, but I have, uh, we are involved in a process with a firm on the East Coast, and it's really been a really actually productive and educational process, I think, that we were involved in a project, Finesse Pro was involved in a project from an early stage, we looked at facades and particularly around the thermal performance of uh, the enclosure and some panels, uh, and there was a lot of, you know, detail in the Revit, model and you know how we drove some of the information around, out of that but then there was um sample enclosures built in a facility on on the east coast for testing and we were hugely satisfied and also maybe a little bit relieved that like the results on the testing in on the physical enclosure were like within two decimal points or something, you know, something crazy close um, from the data that they that they drove from their model. So that that's, it has been and continues to be a really interesting process that we're going through there. The building is on site now. So, you know, as to your point, I think this firm are great, you know, in terms of some of this R&D and it's in terms of some of this uh, this knowledge. And I would fully expect them to kind of carry that thread through to the as-built building you know Mm -hmm. so uh we'll see how that goes you know you know the i mean anyone that does anything with sustainability knows this already but the fact that you know almost 40 percent of buildings contribute to the the carbon emissions that we deal with so i mean it is a really critical thing but when i read this report i mean there were some promising numbers from this group i mean we're nowhere close to where we need to be in terms of so we talked about this uh um predicted energy use intensity number we had a benchmark apparently when this was all set up 10 years ago to have 80 mm. percent by uh or 70 percent by 2019 we were at 50 yeah. percent okay but so we're not there but we're moving but one of the mm. things that stood out was 50 percent what that equates to was uh 20 metric million metric tons of co2 which is like having 26.4 million acres of forest for one year. And so we are making great strides, um, but it all comes down to the energy model. So you talked a little bit about like the, the issue that some of us may run into is that we all do it differently. And I know that may, that started to be a topic of a white paper you were working on a little bit, you know, what, what was the real driver to start to look into that? Um, and then as of now, what kind of findings have you come up with in terms of workflows that we need to look at or address, or, you know, how can we get away from, I mean, there will always be an imperfect model, perhaps. So that mm. can't be what keeps us from doing energy modeling. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as much as we like to talk about architectural workflows being very collaborative and linking things through Revit and BIM 360 and all sorts of, of things there, I think there's always going to be that requirement for uh, 
you know, something, you know, studies done off on the side and, you know, things pulled out and, you know, you know, models broken up, um, often creating that analytical model from the architectural model and keeping it all embedded in the same thing is going to be counterintuitive. I mean, look, you know, the size of Revit models nowadays and, you know, how much is going on in there and you've all sorts of links and even just given the size of construction projects, there's a lot going on there, you know, and there's a lot of stuff, if I could put it like this, there's a lot of stuff to go wrong, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. So if you're analyzing, you know, from our point of view, one orientation on one facade and looking at, well, what's the heat gains going to be in those spaces and how can I create some solutions and some, you know, um, uh, shading strategies or whatever to uh, to try and, and and resolve that. You know, you're not always going to do it in that in that you know in that 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 big architectural model. You know, yep. so so at the moment, I think some of these entry point workflows can be a great way of managing that. You know, pulling that facade out, pulling the enclosure link out, and just deal with that, creating a conceptual mass within that enclosure to do some benchmarking around just orientations, uh, you know, and then almost taking that conceptual mass and starting to create some detailed faces to it. And very quickly, you can actually build up something very close to what you're trying, you know, just almost like whether you call it a shoebox study or a test, test case or whatever, whatever that might be, you can create something very quickly in a, in a, in a much quicker manner rather than trying to wrestle your energy model within that, that central architectural model that everybody's collaborating off, you know? So that's the first um, thing that we've started talking about. And we're, we're talking a lot with Autodesk about it. Beyond that, it's maybe changing the way that Revit energy model is created. So mm -hmm. the Revit energy model is generated from everything in that model, you know? So anything that's room bounding within that model, whether it be interior walls or, facade or structural uh, you know structure uh, structures uh, uh, floors all of that kind of stuff so as I said there's a lot to go wrong so if we can create a wizard for want of a better word or an energy model creation kit that we can just go okay I actually don't want all the stairs and all the columns and all the I, I just want some high level information around the facade and the floor space you know within that perimeter zone and we could just take that simple information from that big model and then start creating some analysis and some data out of it. That would be a great next step. You know, Revit, my understanding isn't quite there yet. My understanding is like, we hope it will start moving that direction. Um, you know, so, uh, um, so uh, I, I think that would make things easier for everyone. In other words, if you almost create energy models like you would create views in Revit, you know? Yeah. You could, oh, you're only looking at the things you're looking at, you know? No, I mean, I think, um, you know, you hate to think the tool is what's getting in the way of progress. And so hopefully that we find ways and, and even through your research in these white papers that we start to produce, we start to look at new workflows that we can adapt. Um, in that same report I was looking at, there was an, a line that I found just interesting. And it said, you know, there's so much that can be said about doing the energy model that if a company's not doing it, it's, it's really just leaving energy and cost savings for its client on the table. Yeah. Um, you, you know, in a way you're costing your client money. So with these goals that we have established and it is kind of overwhelming concept, I mean, what are some small ways that you sort of suggest to these firms that are trying to get into this, you know, what are some small steps that they can start to take to be able to actually get to 
creating a building that may be net zero one day. Yeah, um, I think, um, you know, the things that I would suggest are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no genius and I'm not going to suggest anything that hasn't been suggested before, but it's, it's the simple things like just create some objectives from the outset, outset, you know, and whether they're very defined and, you know, I spoke, we spoke a little bit earlier about understanding, you know, the practicalities of reducing your energy performance. Like, so what would that mean just on my window to wall ratio? What would that mean on shading devices? What would that mean on, you know, on, on other aspects of the envelope in, in, you know, in our world. But if we can start looking at creating some objectives that, okay, I want my, um, uh, my daylighting to be X, and you're aiming towards that. And Finestra Pro can help those things because, you know, it, what we're trying to do is create a tool that will optimize and, you know, automate the path to those objectives rather than a trial and error approach, you know? Yep. So, so, so um, you know, I'm going to comply with code. Bang, there's your window to wall ratio. There's your OR values that you need to achieve. You know, you can play around with your shading and you can play around with your, you know, glass um, properties to, you know, to, to, you know, different different results or different um, decisions giving you the same results, but ultimately it gives you that, you know, automates that path to how you're going to achieve those things. Um, or then you could go, I want to, you know, achieve code, but 20% better. And using Finesse Pro, you could sort of say, well, my OR value is going to be baseline, but 20% better. My, yep. my window to roll ratio, baseline, but 20% better. And again, you can automate those, you know, the path towards that, you know? And I mean, I talk about a little bit about automation there. And automation is great. And it goes back to that, you know, the thing we talked about, the energy model. And at the moment, there's workflows that are manual. It'd be great to be able to start automating some of those workflows and to be, you know, to be able to go, I am a facade consultant. Here's the energy model that you need. I'm a engineer. Here's the energy model that you need. There's, you know, we can talk about auto automation all day long there's still going to be specialist knowledge. There's still going to be things we need to know and, you know, and all of those kind of things. So, um, so uh, yeah, like, you know, it's all about these technologies, I suppose, augmenting your job as opposed to doing your job for you, you know, make like it, that. you know, streamlining your, your decision-making, as you said, not leaving energy performance on the table, not leaving cost of construction on the table, you know, uh, not leaving, you know, streamlining your, your design processes so you're getting to the same goal faster, I suppose, you know. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, and learn from veteran real-world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. Live Lab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits from the comfort of your own office. And it seems like, especially for those folks that are trying to get into it to begin with, um, it, it even starts maybe a little before that with just education. And you brought up a mm. couple of um, comments that alluded to that. Um, when I was looking through some of these um, companies that participated in this AIA commitment, yeah. uh, one specifically, a pretty large firm said the first thing they did was they had to educate their staff on, you know, what, what the commitment was, what the goals are, sustainability. We've all heard sustainability in, in school. We went over it 
Um, but we never really do, and we did to some degree, but to really dive in and say, you know, how do my actions impact what I'm doing? Um, another comment you made that I think is interesting was the, the idea of the code plus 20% or, you know, mm -hmm. basically plus, cause just meeting the code. I mean, that's really just a, a minimum requirement, right. you know, yeah. and, and when we talk about factors that can actually drive performance or enhance the performance, um, it, energy code adoption is going to be one. I mean, energy modeling is definitely one and then energy code adoption. And so if we're just doing the bare minimum, then we're not actually going to be able to progress. So until maybe our codes get more progressive and more stringent and a little more um, stretch goal type of uh, codes, we really should aspire to that, you know, whatever it is, plus 20% and mm. use tools to help us uh, help us get there. Measure that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you'll see that a lot of the large firms, as you said, the signatories of the challenge are, are aspiring to that and are um, actively trying to, um, to uh, you know, promote and educate their staff and, you know, um, um, uh, use those principles in their design, you know, building designs. A lot, of, a lot of time it's going to come down to clients and developers and builders and stuff like that. I mean, you know, look, we've all seen stuff be value engineered out late on. And, yep. But, you know, I think that's the nice thing about some of the, again, go back to the 2030 palette. That's the nice thing about some of these, what you call them, strategies. A lot of them are these kind of passive strategies. That, that they don't actually cost you anymore in terms of the material or you know the the the, the capital cost of the building. But when you can make those decisions really early in the process, like where does my glazing face, what type of shading I'm going to use, when you make those those decisions in, and you know again, BIM methodologies, IPD, all of those kind of things, they're all pulling the same direction. The earlier you make the decision, the less the cost of that decision is, you know, and yep. the higher the impact. And, and, and that's where I think the, the challenge is, or that's where the, the big impacts can be made early in the process. And I think a lot of firms and a lot of designers understand that. And they'll, you know, look, sometimes, you know, we have stages, right? Conceptual stage and SD and DD and like some projects in the past or even currently, no doubt, just go from like a week of conceptual design and then bang, it's into DD. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, whereas, I need a rendering tomorrow. Oh, right, we just talked right. about it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like we're detailing. We're, you know, we've got some, yeah, we've got some just high level kind of sketches approved. Now we're detailing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just, like, I mean, I know that's a, that's a bit clear, but like we've all seen that happen that like, you know, we go from here to here just very quickly. Whereas I think if the decisions, if the decision making period is given a little bit more time and a little bit more breathing space and a little bit more ability to measure some mm -hmm. of these decisions, some of these design decisions, it will ultimately lead to a better product and it will ultimately lead to a, a less, a, a building that's less likely to be VE'd, less likely to go, lose the PVs, we can't afford them. Do you, do you know what I mean? Because you're actually baking in some of that passive performance, some of that energy performance early on in the process. And there's no real need to get rid of it later on, you know? And there's, you know, you have the supporting data for that project that can explain yeah. why you made those decisions instead of just, you know, I'm attempting to be because, you know, it really starts with, you know, one project 
in a firm, but they have to apply that methodology to their whole portfolio, whether the owner asks for it or not. Mm. You know, right now, I think a lot of us are just, I only do it if I have to. Yeah. But, you know, we're getting to a point where we have to yeah. every time. Yeah. 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 So, and I, I like to see, you know, you can go back to that old form function thing. I, I like, I think performance is as crucial as important and should be considered along the same lines, you know, as some of those early decision design decisions, you know, um, you know, as to your point about justifying, I have data to justify. I think it's a great point. And it's very um, salient point. I remember a few years ago, an architect um, here in Ireland said to me, you know, he's a, and he's a really design led architect. Um, and he said to me, uh, you know, we're all in sales, whether you like it or not, you're in sales. Even if you're an architect, you're selling a concept, you're selling a proposal, you're selling a building, well, you know, you're selling a, a vision, whatever that might be. And, you know, if you're proposing an, you know, an option or a design proposal, you're selling it and yep. you've got to have the backup and you've got to have the justification and proven the value to, to, to sell that, uh, you know, that concept and, you know, being able to say, well, it performs the way it should perform and the way we want it to perform and the way people expect things to perform nowadays. It's just another, uh, you know, it's just, it's an, another reason to, to go for it. You know, I think it's a great way to kind of start to wrap up the, um, you know, it seems like obviously it's a, it's a big challenge um, for, you know, one small step may just be getting into doing energy modeling, even if you're not even using it for your final decisions, but you're starting to see how it can be applied to what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, familiarizing yourself with the things like the 2030 palette, which in a way is kind of like a step-by-step guide. You know, it's like, oh, you want to achieve this. This is how mm-hmm. you can achieve that. Um, and then, you know, looking, looking at things like a Fenestra that, that, um, are able to sort of help guide you along that step-by-step. Step. So, you know, mm-hmm. you are looking at the envelope and how to make that more energy efficient. There's some very tangible, small goals that we can start to work towards that we don't have to be the big firm. You know, it just starts with one project. I mean, and even things like in the materials, not just the material you, you choose, but where it comes from, you know, sure. even those are small decisions sure. that are, that have a big impact that we all sure. know it. I think, I know we know it. We just have to, now we're at a point where we have to be looking at these things. Sure. And it, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, 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 you know, sustainability. It's like such a big subject, isn't it? I mean, there's so many aspects of sustainability and, you know, we're only taking one slim piece, which is like the passive considerations of the envelope. As you said, there's, aspects around the materials and that life cycle energy of the material there's the site itself it's like the, what happens at, to the building at the end of its life what, you know, do you know what i mean there's yep. there's so many what about uh you, you know um the the uh what do they call it the how healthy the building is yep. you know, for the occupants all of those kind of things you know um so it can be very often quite a, a intimidating subject and you know, there's a lot to it. So, you know, like I said, I think setting some objectives, whether they be small or not, if they, I mean, it's all going in the right direction. It's all the right, 
it's all the right stuff to be thinking about, you know, and like you said, the 2030 palette is great for that because it takes uh, this kind of high level concept that architecture 2030 do this. It's almost like, a, you know, okay, how do I do <laughs> <But> that? <now? laughs> yeah, exactly. So it will take that and we'll go, okay, in the context of your facade, do this, 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 and this, and you're already shifted in the right direction, you know? I, I, yes, absolutely. Because, you know, when, when I looked up, like, I mean, it says AI uses two easy to calculate metrics to gauge progress. And then what the metric is, is like 15 words of an explanation. Yeah. It's like, I, okay, I don't even understand what that means. And so right. having these step by step, and it's so easy to glaze over that and be like, oh yeah, okay, that's for somebody else. Exactly, can, you know, that's I, for somebody else, yeah. But exactly. to have these step-by-step -step guides, to have these tools to help guide us through the process mm -hmm. is, is pretty critical. Um, yeah. Because in a yeah. way, then you're just saying, hey, like you said, go achieve this and then come back. And you know, here, here we're 10 years into this big goal. Yeah. We're not even halfway to where we want to be, but we're making progress. And you know, having things like the 2030 palette, having even things like the white papers you all are working on to say, okay, look, we acknowledge that you go from hand sketch to CDs like mm. overnight. Mm. Okay. This is what we can do to still have some level of modeling, energy modeling. Yeah. These are some things we can do to still get there. You know, right. those type yeah. of things. And, 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 and along the same lines, not let the energy model become well, that's for somebody else. That's for a, you know, specialist energy model because you, yeah, yes, you're going to need that. You know, if it is a lead building or if it is a high performing building, let's get a specialist energy modeler. But there's lots of things that just general general practitioners can do with the energy model model in Revit. Yep. Sometimes there's problems with it because just that's the way it is. You know, it's a very complex thing. But trying to give people an entry point into that, trying to create some workflows that will allow just you know a small like. A guy in a small farm who's in DD who can go, well, I'm going to just look at this orientation and make sure it's performing right. Yep. They're the, they're the kind of things that that's the, the mind shift that I suppose we all need for, you know, uh, for the next 10 years, which comes around pretty quick. Yeah. It's, you know, and I think it's an interesting point. Um, I know we're kind of wrapping up here because like, you know, a younger group of folks coming through. I mean, I, my entire career has been working in Revit from day one. We, when I would speak to some of th these type things to older professionals about orientation, it really is more just inherently known to them how to maybe orient a building. They, you know, yeah. they, their education was different. The way they had to do it was different. Whereas now I would think we're losing a lot of that. Like I don't just inherently know how to put something on. So I'm going to rely on tools to help me get sure. there. Mm. So being able to acknowledge that and really say, okay, look, yeah, I may be speaking to an older professional that just knows what needs to happen. There's a lot of us now that don't. And so we mm. have to rely on tools like this. We have to look and you know, if you're only using the, an energy model for 60% of what it can do, that's still better than not using it at all. Sure. Sure. I mean, who uses Revit for 100% of what it could do? Who uses Microsoft Word for 100% of what it could do? You know what I mean? That's, that's the way it is, you know? Um, so, you know, I, uh, 
as we kind of wrap up, I mean, is there any sort of lasting thoughts you want to throw out there? Um, I've appreciated you, you joining me today. It's been a fun one to talk a little bit about. And as you said, sustainability is such an enormous topic. It has, you know, political implications and just all yeah. sorts of stuff. But I, there are some very small, tangible things we can be working on, no matter how big your firm is. Yeah, for sure. I think it's uh, it's a you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of culture is going to lead this from the firm. You know, again, it doesn't matter how big your firm is. If you're a, a thousand person firm or a 10 man firm, I think it comes from maybe from leadership to a certain extent that the culture of, look, we all know that there's amazing sustainability, you know, environment, you know, high performing buildings that could be just a really small house or a, you know, whatever that might be that are done by small firms, you know, um, a lot of it is cultural it, within the firm, you know, and uh, a, a lot of it is, again, young designers going into a firm and, you know, going, well, I really believe that this is one of the great issues of our time is, you know, environmentalism. And I, as a building designer, I can really play my part in having an impact or, you know, making some changes. And, culture doesn't always have to be from the top down very often it's from the people within the firm you know mm -hmm. i think to a certain extent it's uh you know a personal thing that you know you you can push against it or you can push for it and uh you know yep that's a great way which, to end it I know, I know which i know which way i'd rather be you know me too me too i have i've got a lot of hopefully a lot of time left here to 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 watch um, Simon, it's been fun. I really do appreciate you joining me. Um, thanks. Thanks for listening to the AEC Disruptors podcast. Enjoyed this episode? Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. The AEC Disruptors is directed by Christopher Riddell, produced by Todd Wyant, edited by Eric Daniel, and co-hosted by Jackson Sensat. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production, copyright applied software 2020.